0: and welcome to another edition of turned out of punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's a short one. It's a sweet one. It's an awesome one with Dave Perner of the band soul asylum. Um, more on that in a second He's also in uh, Loud Fast Rules And Proud Crass Fools But we'll get to that in a second If you want to get in touch with me You can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there You can write me an email You can find me on various forms Of social media At Left for If you'd like to support this podcast You can do that by uh, Heading over to iTunes Writing a review And rating it And if you do not use iTunes You can tell all your friends about it And if you use Spotify I don't know if there's a way you can help this podcast out or I can impose on you to help this podcast out if you use Spotify. But if there is a way, do that. Uh, If you use Facebook and you want to follow this podcast and see some of the things that get sent into this thing and... Be part of some conversations involving this thing You can do that by heading over to Facebook.com and finding Turned Out A Punk, it's run by my brother And show producer, Tristan Abraham And he will uh, Steer you in the right direction If you want to get in touch with me through Facebook as well Because I don't have a Facebook page um Of sorts, so that's the best way to do that on the Facebook. And if you don't use Facebook like me and you want to see all this stuff that gets posted up on there, we have a Tumblr page as well, and that's uh turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. And you will see it over on that thing. Oh my gosh, so much to talk about this week! So much to talk about. First thing I gotta talk about is well, why is Dave Perner here? And uh, why am I not bringing you a live from the House of Vans in New York with Royal Headache and Downtown Boys? Well, unfortunately, the weather intervened. After I recorded my intro for you and sent that off, I scurried on off to that airport and I got to my gate and waited my flight got delayed, and it got delayed again, it got delayed again, it got delayed again, and I called the good people at Vans, and the good people at Vans said, you know what, you're not going to make it, you know, you can come here and see the great show and probably miss most of it, uh, or you can go home and spend time with your kids, and I chose to spend time with my kids, so unfortunately I did not get to go and do that live podcast, but this podcast is brought to you by the good people at Vans, in the house of Vans, and uh an amazing uh group of people over there um, that have been very understanding about my travel woes and also very understanding about this podcast and letting me do this podcast and enabling me to kind of make up some upgrades over here, like getting a new recording device that I don't have to lug this laptop around and this microphone around with me when I go on location and interview people. So don't worry, that is coming soon. Um, and also uh, flying me out to do these great House of Van shows, which unfortunately, in the case of the last one, I missed. So uh, Vans, I really do appreciate you doing that, and I'm sorry that the uh, weather on the East Coast has been messing with us this summer so far and messing with you everyone and making me miss giving you what would have been a really fun podcast with some great bands. And I think Sheer Meg was there too. I was trying to get them on the podcast. So hopefully they and the other bands will happen in the future because those are three unbelievable bands, amazing bands. That would have been an incredible show to be at there in Brooklyn. And I love that house of bands out there, but alas, I spent my time Eating a hamburger named after, or a combo inspired by, I guess is the best way to put it, a rapper from the 90s at the airport. It was a Burger. I'm not giving them a plug, but, uh, you know. I am giving Vans a plug, though. Thank you, Vans, very much for uh, the support on this podcast and for, uh, you, know, um, you know, flying me up to a future one of these. There's one coming up, and I don't think I can give the details about it yet, but I will be giving them out in the near future. So... I can't bring you that podcast. What did we do over here at Turnout of Punk? Well, my brother, Tristan, quickly threw uh, you know, together a, a quick conversation with a wonderful person named Janine. And she helped organize this very last minute, just before they hit the stage, interview with Soul Asylum's Dave Perner. Now, Dave Perner is one of the ones that I've always wanted to interview, long before... I had a podcast even. I misidentified the zine as chemical combustion, I think, which I'm sure Dave Martin, my friend, will lambast me extensively for. Also, I have to thank him. Tune into to the end of the... Sorry, I dropped a bunch of stuff trying to get this fanzine out for you. Uh, tune in to the end of the podcast where I will be thanking Dave Martin extensively and going through... My record of the week, but uh, that will be at the end of the podcast. Uh, Before that, though, I got to talk about Dave Perner, and I misidentified this zine as chemical combustion. It's chemical imbalance. But in chemical imbalance, the spring of 1988 issue, there comes with a 7-inch, and on that 7-inch, I think the 7-inch actually has a name, The the Andrew Noel Lynn Memorial Trailer Park EP. And it has uh, a song by Loud Fast Rules on it, which it identifies as featuring some guys from Soul Asylum. And it's also got the Mekons on it and the Blue Hippos and the Magnolias. It's a great 7-inch comp. But uh, I heard that song, saw that way before this podcast existed, uh, long after it came out, though. And I knew I had to have this guy on this podcast. He's someone that I know. I'm a, I'm a huge Soul Asylum fan. I love all that stuff right back to the Twin Stone stuff but also the fact that he was in a band called Loud Fast Rules. And, you know, I had to find out if he knew about the Stimulators. I had so much stuff to get to. I only could get 15 minutes with him. I stretched it out to 16 minutes with him, uh, 16 and a half minutes with him. And believe me, I could have gone, oh, my God, 16 hours. There was a lot to get to. Uh, But he says he's going to come back. You know, spoiler alert, he says he's going to come back for a part two. Even though it's 15 minutes It is a jam-packed 15 minutes. I listened back to this, and I was pretty stoked on uh, a lot of the stuff that we get to talk about. So I'm going to shut the hell up and finish extending the runtime of this thing and let you sit back, relax, and enjoy a brief but fun conversation with Dave Perner on Turn Out a Punk. Dave Thank you so much for doing this. This is a big thrill. I've wanted to talk to you about this ever since I got... uh, was it? it, Chemical Combustion? Is that the name of the fanzine? And they had a Loud Fast Rules live track on it. And it had, like, featuring members of Soul Asylum. And I was like, one day, I will make this happen. Chemical Combustion. Well, thank you, Damien. It's great to be here in Canada again. Well, we wanna, I want to talk to you about so much stuff, but i got to start this the way I start them all off, which is, Dave, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre?
1: The first time I ever came across said genre? Uh... I don't know. One of my buddies had a Ramones record, and uh, another one of my buddies had a guitar. I that's when I realized I was like maybe I can play this kind of music um I think I had probably heard about the Sex Pistols like on the news or something Mm -hmm. where they were you know people still didn't really understand what it was or where it was coming from but it was you know they people were still trying to figure it out And, and of course for me it was intriguing more than anything else and Actually, you know, a very natural step from Kiss to, to Sex Pistols. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there's that performative element to both those bands, you know, and they both have that theatric and, and yeah. it's also that attitude, I guess, right? Yeah. So where did you kind of go from hearing this Ramones record from your friend? Um, like, were there any local bands kind of happening at that point?
1: Uh, I think it was a pretty big revelation as far as, you know, I just thought that music came out of the radio and it was all classic rock and it was check. Is this thing on? And, uh, you know, didn't really know that there was much going on outside of what, as a 13, 14 year old kid, whatever is available to you is, is not very much. So these bands would play at the Walker Arts Center, of all places, in Minneapolis. And I think that's really where I really heard it, in a way that I was like, wow, this is not like the classic rock on the radio. It's being treated as, you know, it's at an art gallery. And it's all... uh, It's just very... uh, Treated in a way that... Nothing was too weird, and nothing was too outrageous, but it was also, uh, well, art, I guess, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it'd be mixed up and you know, things like Laurie Anderson or whatever, and it all kind of made sense to me because it was so, uh... It seemed to kind of go with the modern art thing i mean i remember seeing lydia lunch for the first time and going i i just i don't know what to make of this but i like it you know (laughs) it's just it's cool so they'd have bands play at this park called loring park in minneapolis and uh that was where underage kids could hear these bands at the walker art center and loring park and they'd have a band and a movie at night and uh and I started realizing there was this kind of wave of aggressive music happening in Minneapolis, and there were bands like the Suburbs and the Suicide Commandos who are back together, and we're doing a gig with, which is very exciting that's because awesome. the guitar player kind of taught me my first Ramones chords. Well,
0: that's I hear he taught and like he taught a yeah, lot of people, Bob Craig
1: Mold, and yeah.
0: So, was he like a guitar teacher, or was there just like a he was working everything? at
1: a guitar store? And uh, just a really great guy, Chris Osgood is uh, his name, and he actually was an entomologist by trade. He just, he's very smart, and I, and I think that's something that really attracted me to the punk scene in Minneapolis is that it seemed really intelligent. Mm-hmm. You know, just it wasn't all that kind of dumb hair music that seemed kind of blockheaded. It was more intellectual in a whether it be politicized or or just a little more um, outgoing in its expressiveness it uh, it had a lot to offer especially when you're young and pissed off and you
0: need a, need an outlet you mm-hmm. know? so where did you kind of go from like who, like i guess you know suicide command was obviously one of the first bands but were there other younger bands that were kind of like your age? Like, how'd you kind of go from seeing these bands to playing in one of them? And what was that kind of time period before that first demo comes out?
1: Well, I remember Chris Osgood took me to see Husker Do, and I was underage, and I had to like stand in a corner of the bar where no one could see me. And, uh, and that was a very special thing. Me and my High school buddies were, uh, you know, singing along to Devo and goofy stuff like that, and the jocks were making fun of us for being weird and that whole kind of thing. But uh, I I think that's fuel for the fire in Mm so many of those different situations. I actually got beat up by the hockey team for wearing a Gabba Gabba Hey uh, pin on my hockey parka. It was a Ramones button. And they were just like, you know, you can't mix hockey and punk rock, man. It's just not cool. What
0: would those guys think if they heard the Hanson brothers? You know, yeah, they.
1: I mean, they're still. I'm sure they're still listening to classic rock. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's like kind of the reaction that new wave and punk was kind of meeting from from normals. Like, was a repulsion. I
1: think so. You know, it was definitely a place for outcasts to feel like they had a, a, a scene, a place to be, a place where you could hang out with other people that weren't all trying to be the captain of the football team and the homecoming queen. And, you know, it was a very accepting situation as far as the freaks belong mm-hmm. kind of thing.
0: So, when you kind of, after you went to that Who's Could Do show, did they have anything out by that point? Where, like, did you have that... F- the statue single, or, like,
1: the... I did. I had the statue single, and I was uh, really into it. What's on the other side? Oh, my God. Why don't you do something different? <laughs> yeah, what, what is, is it?
0: What, what? Do do something mm-hmm.
1: different? Uh, what you going to... Anyhow. Um, I'll fix it in the intro. It was really cool and, and very local, and uh, it was kind of before... They had made this decision to start playing a zillion miles an hour, mm-hmm. and it was—it was just crazy. I mean, then land speed record came out, and everyone was just, just you know, seemingly beating the shit out of each other in the <laughs> crowd. But it was that thing where it's like just boys moshing together and stuff, and they had a, they had a following called the Husker Veggies, which I never really understood if they were like vegetarians or that was the deal, but it was, it's very black leather and it was very much one, two, three, four, everybody just hog pile on each other kind of thing.
0: Wow. But you never think about that band with that reputation and of fans. It, yeah. I mean, it, it was really,
1: really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, Is that where the need for kind the speed exciting. kind of comes from?
0: Mm-hmm. Is it? Because you guys call yourself Loud Fast Rules, which is still, I think, the best name ever.
1: It was strange because it was somewhat simultaneous as far as it just, I was at practice one day and I just sort of said, all right, well, I got a new song. Let's see if we can play it as fast as we can possibly play it. And I wasn't really aware that this was going on everywhere by, you know, so we kind of got out there and started seeing that it was the thing. And, uh,. It just got faster and harder and harder and faster, and it was brutal, you know, <laughs> fair, sometimes very non-musical, but always uh, keeping your aggression in a sort of a constructive kind of way, I suppose. <laughs> Almost killing each other, but not really.
0: So, what was the scene of bands that you guys were a part of, because I guess... You know, was it like obviously Soul of Sound becomes part of like the the top tier Amusement. of those bands? thats the other song, right? Amusement, I'm not of course. easily, <laughs> amazed, yeah, not I'm easily
1: amazed. Yeah. Okay, uh, sorry. What? No,
0: no. Uh, I was thinking in a freelance design too. But um, where did you kind of where like what was the scene of bands you guys were playing in? Because when I mean Lab Fast Rules, because mm-hmm. obviously Soul of Sound becomes part of that upper echelon. But were you guys younger than the Husker Duke guys? Uh, by a couple.
1: By a couple of years, couple three, four years. I mean, Tommy was younger than me. <laughs> Tommy was younger than everybody. Um, but it it was very uh, broad in its its stroke of who was included. I mean, there's a band was one of my favorite bands called Auto's Chemical Lounge. Oh yeah. And the singer was older than everybody, and the guitar player was younger than everybody. So there'd be these real young kids coming into the scene, but also these kind of older people that were coming from rock and roll, from, you know, like garage bands and pre-punk kind of stuff. So these kind of, there's a guy named Curtis A. who was like, he was a punk guy, but he was also very much uh, pre-punk in a... Like, not an Elvis kind of a way, but, uh, you know, just old rock and roll that, that was hard and not...
0: Like an American garage you know, rock kind of way? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, not songs about trolls and yeah. fairies <laughs> yeah. and things like <laughs> not that. Not hobbit just, rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, with what about, like, uh, Halo of Flies? How did they mm-hmm. fit into that scene?
1: Uh, they came a little bit later, but they eventually ended up on Twin Tone, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Tom's now running two very successful bars called Grumpies, which is very appropriate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then the, you know it, it, it was just kind of a natural progression, and it was clear that he was a—I think he had just gotten out of the military or something—and it was—it was clear that he was an operator. You know, there was some in the do it yourself scene the self-made business people come to light very quickly mm-hmm. so you know if you're into it that much that you're just going to start your own record label and be a band and do all this stuff and there's definitely characters that are much better at the business side so to speak than you know the music side or something like that bob mold is also a very sharp business-wise, and my guitar player was more so than I am, so yeah, it's to sort of delegate responsibilities a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, it, it seems like that scene had a lot of those people that were really good at the business of independent music, or the business of punk. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of stuff that came out of there, and there was like so many bands compared to the rest of America at that point that got out and toured and were doing things like... It's amazing when you look at all the bands from LA that just n- never got out of there compared yeah. to you guys.
1: Yeah, it's a very different thing. I mean, it, it would seem like you go to LA to get recognized, <laughs> whereas it's kind of the opposite. When you're from Minnesota, you have to go everywhere else. Mm-hmm. You can't stay in Minnesota and you're, you could play to the same people every day but the whole point is to get out of there Mm -hmm. and go try to spread the mayhem so to speak and there is no making it you know that was never even a part of the plan part of the plan was just to get in the van and go play and see what happens but it wasn't that thing where oh yeah you know of course it's a thrill to play CBGB's for the first time and it's probably true that there's a better chance you might get recognized by somebody who's writing an article for the Village Voice or, or whatever but it was really just out there everywhere on the road where you wanted to be and have that presence that you were just always kind of
0: showing up You know. well I, I could talk to you forever and there's a million questions I want to ask you and yeah. one day I hopefully we can do a part two sure, man. but just I've, I'm, one thing that I've been fascinated by kind of following on that same topic is kind of prior to the alternative music explosion of the 90s, right? Where, you know, obviously you're a key part of that happening. Mm-hmm. What was that touring circuit like that you guys were doing? Is it that same touring circuit that DOA and Black Flag had kind of started doing a couple years earlier? Or are you guys doing a different circuit? Because obviously you're playing a more kind of successful scene, I would imagine. And at
1: the time, it was, it was all pretty much, you know, the SST bands and the Touch and Go bands and the Twin Tone bands. And vans and you know I mean Mike Watt is a pretty perfect example of the do it yourself aesthetic where you know the band is going to drive the vehicle There's, there was four of us sometimes well there was five four guys in the band and one other guy and that was our our whole stealth operation (laughs) for years you know (coughs) and it's yeah you you pull up somewhere and you check out the other bands oh you got a got a dodge, man, good luck with that. We got, we just got a Ford, and we're like, whoa, you guys got a Ford, well, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was there was a lot of camaraderie out of necessity, I guess I would say. But, you know, it's cool. You show up in a weird town where you don't know anybody and a bunch of punkers show up and you're all part of this same kind of thing. Where get in the van and go rock out. If you don't have any money, it doesn't matter, and it doesn't necessarily even matter if you can play or not and uh, that that was also something I really enjoyed is you see these people that are not virtuosos but are expressing themselves in a way that is really kind of pure and kind of kind of, I don't care if I can't sing, I'm just gonna go out there and say crazy poetry and jump around and puke on myself and that's my performance art and it's entertaining and So uh, there's a lot of that that I kind of miss, actually. It's kind of even funny to think about
0: what would have happened if someone would have tried to put auto-tune on all those bands or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next time we'll talk about auto-tuning, willful neglect, Uh, and being label mates with Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, yeah. But uh, thank you so much, Dave. This has been awesome.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. (laughs)
0: Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Janine, and thank you, everyone, Tristan, for making this happen. That was awesome. I am so, so happy I got to do it. It's only now, setting in, having listened back to it, uh, that I got to do that. And this is one of those rare experiences where I'm like, I was like, taking it back, you know, taking it back still. I'm like, oh, the, you know, it's Dave Perner, the guy from Soul Asylum, right there, you know, and and I'm getting to talk to him about do and all this other stuff, you know. What a what a great world. So anyway, thank you very much everyone involved for making that happen. Uh now I got to go on to thank another person. I got to thank Dave Martin and everyone over there at Manufactured Recordings for uh sending this incredible box, a treasure trove of stuff. Uh I'm only going to talk about one record right now because I've got a lot to get to, but I'll get to two of the other ones over the next few weeks. Uh, once again, uh, I would like to uh, thank Dave for sending this stuff because, man, he knows my taste. The record I want to talk about right now is the Mannequins Records from uh, the, from Broadway to Blaze's uh, LP, double LP that they put out, which is like a collection of all their singles. This is an Australian kind of, I guess, second wave punk band. It features uh, scientists and cheap, nasty uh, memberships and victims memberships. And uh, maybe it's on victims memberships. Anyway, I'm, I should read this bio better, but and it's an amazing record. I've got one of these singles, so to have all of this stuff in one anthology, believe me, will save me thousands, and you thousands of dollars, because you need to pick this up. The uh, Mannequins are one of those bands that, you know, that's the problem with a country like Australia, where there's just like a glut of incredible punk bands, that there's there's just so many that I would say are on par or better than some of the top tier ones in my opinion. In some cases, uh, that are not covered as much. And thank you very much to Manufactured recordings for uh, bringing this band to light because this is one of those bands for me. I uh, will be going through more of this, I'm sure, in the upcoming weeks. I'm going to try and do like a, a record every week that I'm kind of listening to and and liking. And you know, I'm sure you get enough of this. You get inundated with this stuff uh, on a daily basis, but. For the one of you that's emailing me every once in a while, being like, hey, can I get some recommendations? Here you go. Now you're getting them at the end of the show. Tacked on at the very end. Uh, Thank you so much, though, Dave. I love you, buddy. Uh, Big supporter of the podcast. Send me this stuff. Also sent me an unbelievable smattering of uh, wrestling promo tapes. Uh, More on that in uh, future editions of the soon-to-be-revived wrestling podcast on here. Uh, So we will be talking about that, I'm sure, in episodes of that. Speaking of talking about things in the future, next week on Turned Out of Punk, this one is something for me. This is a gift for me. This is a treat-yourself episode of Turned Out of Punk. Because next week on the show, it's Corey from Five Knuckle Chuckle. That's right, Five Knuckle Chuckle, a band band from Orangeville, Ontario, uh, a band that inspired... So much including Edge, the professional wrestler, myself, other members of Fucked Up, other members of Toronto punk bands and and Southern Ontario punk bands. And uh, yeah, I've just always wanted to have this conversation with this guy, someone that I was a huge fan of, still a huge fan of his music. And uh, we will talk about all that sort of stuff next week on the show. I am so excited for next week on the show. I might be... I don't know, I might be more excited for next week's one than um, any other podcast I've done so far. I, I don't know, it's kind of kind of weird. Uh, I was pretty stoked for Craig Ferguson, i got to be honest. I was pretty stoked on that Craig Ferguson conversation. But this one, next week, I don't know, this is a special place for me, so I'm really excited to get to do this one. So that is next week on the show. Thank you once again to Janine. And, and of course Dave, and my brother Tristan Abraham for putting this thing together and telling me I had to do this, and uh, uh, my, my amazing, amazing uh, wife Lauren for coming home and taking care of the kids so I could run off and interview Dave from Soul Asylum, and uh, Dave Martin for sending me all these great records, and uh, yeah, thank you everyone out there, I'm just really stoked to be home right now, and really stoked that uh, you listened to the short episode, I'm Really trying to run out this runtime as long as possible. I don't want this to be the shortest episode ever, but I still think it's going to be. But anyway, there's going to be a part two. Dave said there was going to be a part two. Uh, Go out there and make your own culture. Sorry this one uh, had to be the substitute episode, but what a friggin' substitute episode it was. And I will see you next week on the show. Thanks, everyone. Bye.